service, there's a lot of hooping and hollering. And then the second service, like the same announcements, you don't hear like any like hoops and hollers for, for you know, like cost of discipleship. You're not hearing like, woo, yeah. Uh, so I noticed that there were a couple announcements that were hoops and hollers. Um, but the one that kind of like fizzled was uh, mom's group. <laughs> did you guys notice that? Mom's group did not get any, any love um, from, the, from the passion uh, of the heart. And, uh, you know, what we're going to look at this morning is the life of Hannah. And um, Hannah is a mighty woman of faith. And what we're going to see is that um, Her- Hannah, like many uh, women in the Bible, actually struggled with barrenness. She could not have, chi- like, uh, have a child. And, um, and it was her problem. We'll, we'll kind of uh, I'll expound on that, like what I mean by that. Um, but it was through her faithful um, seeking of the Lord and just pouring out herself that um, we're going to see a, a nation that totally went depraved um, before the Lord have a 180 and, and God starts bringing the word of the God. Uh, God starts speaking to his people again. And um, the priesthood gets healed from corruption to faithfulness. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And I thought that it would be really fitting uh, because Sam did pour out his heart to us as a church. I think it was two Tuesdays ago. Maybe it was last Tuesday. But, man, he was very vulnerable with us. I love having a pastor that is willing to get up to confess his own weaknesses. And one of his weaknesses and um, one of his concerns is that um, sometimes he feels like he struggles in prayer. If there's one area of his life that I think, at least how I was hearing it, that he wanted to see more of for him and for the individuals of this church is that we would be a people dependent on the Lord, desperate in prayer. And he shared a couple of stories where only God could do the work. And I think that um, Hannah is, is, a, is a life that exemplifies that. Um, really, all the women in, in the Bible that struggled with barrenness, it's like only the Lord could, can come through. And, and in these situations, we did see the Lord come through. So let's, um, let's get started. I know I already prayed. I'm just going to pray one more time. Uh, Lord, um, please, please show us what you want us to see. Um, have our hearts, God. Mold us into your image and make us a people of prayer. All right. Okay, here we go. So <clears throat> I want to start really by just kind of giving like the situation. All right. And you guys got some blanks in your handouts. And prior to the book, we're going to be in the book of Samuel. So if you have your Bible, if you have your Bible app, we're going to be in First Samuel chapter 1. Um, but what you need to know if you've never read the book of Samuel before or you're not too familiar with what was going on during that time in the nation of Israel was that the children of Israel had gotten into the promised land and then they had a streak of basically just downward spiraling and walking away from the Lord. And that's in the book of Judges. Okay. So you see uh, God will raise up these, these judges to help his people when they cry out for help. Um, but then 
you also see just some horrible depravity of man. It kind of goes to what James was talking about, the imaginations of men's hearts um, being wicked. And you see some things in the book of Judges that are just abominable. I don't know how else to say it, but it's like, this would be a rated R movie at least, and just like heart-wrenching stuff. And it's like, how could God's people get to this place? And it, it goes back to like, they gave themselves over to a reprobate mind. They departed from what the Lord had given them. And really, it's all kind of summarized in Judges, 7, uh, Judges chapter 17, verse 6. And you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read it to you. Judge, the book of Judges says this, In those days, there was no king in Israel. That means God wasn't on the throne. That also meant that God hadn't established a king on the throne. But in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Okay, so that's Judges chapter 17, verse 6. But if you were to flip to Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it's the last verse in the book of Judges. It says the exact same thing. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Whenever God repeats himself in scripture, we ought to like raise up our ear. Okay, what's he trying to get at? You know, he's, he's showing us that there is this relative righteousness. You know, everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And I think that we could easily just open up Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, the news, and you can see that we're in a land where everybody's doing what is right in their own eyes, even the church. Okay? And this was kind of the landscape um, of, of spiritual barrenness. Okay? So your first blank is spiritual barrenness. Awesome. Thank you, Tim. Okay. <clears throat> but leading out of the book of Judges, as we start in the book of 1 Samuel, what you're going to find is that... <clears throat> Not only is there a corrupt people, okay, that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, but there was also a corrupt priesthood. And there's going to be three characters that you need to know, or at least I'm going to introduce you to. Maybe you don't need to know them, but um, there was a priest named Eli, okay? And he had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas. And these two sons... The Bible doesn't describe them as sons of God. They describe them as sons of Belial. It's a capital B, Belial. It's like this, this, this weird name that you see show up in Scripture. And basically, when somebody is called a son of Belial, that like literal translation is that they have no value. These people were not living for God. These people were living for kingdoms of darkness. Okay, And Hophni and Phinehas... They were um, stealing the sacrifices that would come um, as people were coming to worship the Lord and obey Scripture. They would take these sacrifices and they would eat the portion that they weren't supposed to eat, that they were given instructions not to eat. And when people, like, I think recognized what was going on, they would take it by force. Okay? So imagine... I feel like I've, like, I've, I, I, this is like one of my favorite chapters, like, or First Samuel is like one of my favorite books. I feel like I've probably talked about this before, but imagine you went to church and you're putting money in the offering plate and you see the usher just like taking it and putting it in their pocket. 
How would that make you feel? How would you feel about obeying the Lord at that church? This was the state of, like, the priests, okay? Um, But not only that, but they also slept with women at the temple, okay? So again, like, heaven forbid that we will deal with that type of situation at our church. Um, Lord, please protect us from that. But we know that that kind of thing happens at churches, and when a pastor has to go up and confess, or he's found out, that he has been caught sleeping with a lady that is not his wife, it just completely ruins the church. Um, it, it destroys lives. You know, there's, there's people that walk away from the Lord because of this depravity. So, not only was it a corrupt people, but there was a corrupt priesthood. Okay? And Eli, he also was uh, attuned to what was going on. Um, <clears throat> The Bible actually says that, and this is the quote, that he's fat. And that he and what it was alluding to is that he was partaking of the offering and eating of the fat that was supposed to be for the Lord. Um, and so God is keenly aware of everything that was going on um, in this. And you know, one of the things that I love about God is that he's patient. But he also doesn't sweep anything under the rug. And so he's willing to put like his people's uh, dirt out there, one, um, as a lesson to us, but also there's an opportunity for them to repent. Um, unfortunately, Eli's sons did not repent. Um, and he will deal with them in, in later in, in Samuel. Okay? So, are you guys uplifted yet? It's like depraved land. <laughs> Depraved priesthood, all right? <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, yeah, and it's sober, right? But, I mean, just like, just like Noah, you know, found grace in, in the eyes of the Lord. Um, there's a righteous remnant. And 1 Samuel 1, now you guys can turn there, 1 Samuel chapter 1. And um, please follow along. We're going to actually read through this whole chapter Um, Hopefully we'll have enough time to do that. But um, there was a righteous remnant, okay? And it's Elkanah and his household, all right? So chapter 1, verse 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephethite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Okay. So, so Eli, um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Elkanah, he's actually a Levite. If you were to study his genealogy, which is, which is mentioned elsewhere in Scripture, what we're going to find out is that he's a Levite. And he's leading his household. He has two wives, Hannah and Penina, and every year they're going to go to uh, the tabernacle and they're going to offer a sacrifice. Okay, and this is in accordance with commandment of Scripture in Exodus 23, verses 14 through 19. And <clears throat> so, amidst this corruption, and what what First Samuel points out is that people actually knew about this priestly corruption. So again, I just want you to like kind of put yourself in the shoes of like imagine you're serving the Lord and your leadership is stealing 
and sleeping around. Okay? And I think there is something to say that amidst this, they were still faithful to the Lord. And um, too often I hear stories. I have, I have some close, close friends in my life that when they see corruption in the church, they point to that and then they find an excuse for themselves of why they don't have to believe the Lord. Um, but here we see uh, a people that are doing their best, trying to, to obey the Lord. Okay, so now we've got um, a little bit of the situation. Now let's, let's go to the next slide, which is the struggle. Okay, and your blank is physical barrenness. Okay, so there's spiritual barrenness in the land. But there's also physical barrenness. All right, so we're going to read verses 4 through 8. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, offered a sacrifice, he gave to Penina his wife and to all her sons and her daughters portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb, and her adversary, that would be Penina, also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah her husband to her, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou, and why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? Okay, so this leads to key point number one. If, if your wife is grieving, don't say what Elkanah said, okay? No, that's not really a key point. <laughs> it, <laughs> sometimes, as husbands, you got, you got to be patient with us because we think we know the solution, and sometimes we think that the solution is us, and clearly the solution is not us. Um, it's the Lord. But, um, you know... There was a lot that Hannah was, uh, that was, that was going against Hannah. Um, and I just want to call out some of these things that she was dealing with, okay? The first one is that she had a divided household, okay? Um, she had a sister wife. And I don't know why Elkanah decided to marry two women, but there were examples of that in Old Testament scripture it was never something that the Lord had intended, um, but he did per, like permit it, just like he, did ne he never intended divorce, but he permitted it out of the hardness of, uh, out of, the hardness of people's hearts. Okay, So Hannah had a sister wife, and, um, and there was favoritism going on. It's called out that, um, that Elkanah loved. Hannah, all right, that puts you in a, a predicament if you've got like a sibling, uh, sibling-in-law wife. I don't know what you would call them. But, <clears throat> um, you know, there's some favoritism going on. And we see in Scripture that that's never a good situation, all right? But then um, in, in verse 5, you also see this call out that she is barren, okay? But Hannah, but, um, but, the, Lord, but the Lord had shut up her womb. Okay, this is, I, I grappled with this verse for a while, okay? It's not saying that, like, she couldn't bear children because physiologically something was going on, although it might have been a physical thing that the Lord had done, but 
you can see that this is actually the Lord's doing, is that he shut up her womb. And you see throughout Scripture, um, especially in the Old Testament, that there are many examples where there is a struggle to bear fruit. I'll just give you a couple of examples. Um, Sarai, who eventually became Sarah. She was old. Many of you guys know her story. She couldn't get pregnant. Um, and so, you know, they tried to figure out how to make God's promises come to pass. And so uh, they, gra- they grabbed, um, you know, the, the other lady that was in the household. Uh, Rebecca, Rachel, uh, Manoah's wife, which would be um, Samson's mom. Okay. Um, Elizabeth in the New Testament. These are just a handful of women that struggled with not getting pregnant. And here we have in Scripture um, one of at least two examples where it's specifically calling out that the Lord was the one behind the barrenness. Okay? And I just want to take a moment as I'm talking about this to just recognize that, like, this is a painful subject. Uh, for some people, probably even in this room. And, um, and I don't want to gloss over that. Um, you know, for my wife and I, um, when she was a teenager, she was told that she probably would not be able to have children um, based on a medical condition she had. And I remember when we were dating, um, she shared that with me. And, like, I remember sitting in the car, like, just, like, grieving that with her. Um, for, for her own heart, you know, and like the pain that I saw in that. Um, but also, you know, like the desire to be a, a father, right? Um, and then, uh, as you guys know, we actually have, or for those that know, we have four children, and I praise God for that. Um, but that's not everybody's story. Um, we've also dealt with, with miscarriages and, um, you know, and, and that's something that a lot of couples deal with. And so I just like, I want to pause for a moment and just recognize that like this topic of barrenness is like, can be like heart wrenching and devastating. And we have testimonies at this church of couples that have lost babies and lost babies. And then the Lord granted them, um, a child, but you know, I, I can't say this for sure, but I'm guessing that there are also people that have cried unto the Lord for maybe even decades and never saw the answer to prayer that they were hoping for. And that's hard. Um, and I, I, I have to ask that question, like, God, why would you do this? Why would you do this? And why would you shut up somebody's womb? Um, when you've commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and to like, why, why would you do this Lord? And I don't necessarily have all the answers, um, to that, but I think what I, what I, what I can say that I feel confident in is that when the Lord brings adversity or allows adversity into our life, he uses it as a catalyst to, build us up. And when you hand a child everything that their heart desires over and over again, they usually kind of turn out a certain way. And it's not always healthy. 
And I'm not saying that like we, we have to be depraved of like in order for us to be um, uh, Christ likeness that like we have to go through like immense turmoil. But Christ invites us into the sufferings that he's gone through. And, and I always think back to Abraham being invited and asked of the Lord to give his firstborn. What in the world is with that story? Why would God do something like that? And yet, Abraham, when he obeyed, he got to feel and experience what our Father in Heaven experienced with Christ on the cross, but then saw a miracle and his son was delivered. And so I know that God uses these circumstances. And what we're going to see is that God uses this situation of resisting Hannah for, for probably years. I don't know how long. But to actually do a work in her life and build character in her. And also to heal a nation, alright, that was barren. Okay, so <clears throat> the other thing that uh, Hannah was dealing with was that she had a taunting ad- ad- adversary. So if you look at verse 6. It says that, and her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. I mean, it's not enough. It's not enough that um, she's barren, but there's somebody whispering in her ear when the husband isn't looking and saying, what's wrong with you? You're, you're shameful. You know, it's like, it's just piling on. Okay. This pain. So, <clears throat> Here's the thing, um, and I want to turn this back to us as New Testament believers, and it's this. This is our first key point, okay? God desires for His children to be fruitful. Okay, fruitful is your first blank. Therefore, we ought to be brokenhearted over spiritual barrenness. Okay? So, like, you know, I'm describing this pain, this turmoil that many women and many couples go through. And I don't want to make it academic, but I would argue that as New Testament believers, if we are not seeing people come to the Lord, if we are not part of contributing to people's salvations, we ought to have a grieving heart that is very comparable to what we're seeing Hannah going through. Lord, why would you do this? Lord, use me. And, and maybe some of you feel that. You feel like you, want, you have a heart of evangelism, but you're not seeing things. You're not seeing results. And you might be thinking, is there something wrong with me? That's often what I feel. Is there something wrong with me? I mean, I, I, I pray about it. I pray for my neighbors. I pray for my coworkers. Sometimes I get a chance to say something, but like, I'm not always seeing the results. So God desires for his children to be fruitful. Therefore, we ought to be brokenhearted over spiritual barrenness. And if you're not familiar with the, the, with the commissions throughout the, the Bible, it's pretty clear that God wants us to be fruitful. He wants his children to be fruitful. So Genesis 128 is God telling Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Genesis 9.1, when it's Noah and his household, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Okay, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Now, it's not physical, it's spiritual. But go throughout the world, right? 
teach, make disciples, baptize in my name, the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And then in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, which I would say is like one of our church's like go-to passages, it just shows that there can be generations of disciples. You know, in that passage, if you've never looked at it, there's actually four generations of disciples um, from Paul and down. Um, and it's amazing. <clears throat> All right. So now that, um, now that we're like just utterly depressed, um, let's, let's turn it to uh, the victory. Um, I love how Mitch has, with the Exodus series, just kind of looked at the situation um, and then like the problem and then the victory. So I'm going to kind of keep that same framework. So the victory, we're going to see both physical and spiritual fruit. Fruit is your next blank. So let's read 1 Samuel 9, 1 through 18. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. And there shall no razor Come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Okay? So amidst all the turmoil, all the adversity that, that Hannah was dealing with, um, this, this passage in Scripture, I think, highlights some, some things about her character that I think are, are really incredible. And the first one is that she demonstrates self-control. Okay, she had an adversary that was taunting her for something that she had no control over. And sometimes you can learn about people and their character by what you see them do and what you hear them say. But I think also sometimes you can learn about somebody's character by the things that they don't do and sometimes the things they don't say. And what what scripture doesn't show here is Hannah going to Elkanah and being like, why did you bring this woman into my life? Or, God, how could you do this to me? And question his character. What we actually see is that Hannah controls her emotions and points them to the Lord. 
And I use that phrase control very importantly. Um, Emotions are a gift from God. They're not something to suppress, but they are something to... uh, Jonathan Kindler, um, who uh, is a wonderful teacher here at Midtown, and he's part of our counseling ministry, he talks about emotions kind of being like on a dashboard, like an indicator light. Like if, like if you've got a flat tire, you know, if you're tire, like a light will go on or if you have the check engine light. So our emotions are kind of like that dashboard. They'll turn on, you know, if you're feeling anger, if you're feeling sad. God is highlighting to you that something's not right and that like there needs to be a, a right response. And so you see Hannah pointing her sorrow and her grief and taking it to the Lord, okay? The second thing that I would say that we, we learn about Hannah here is brokenness, okay? And <clears throat> what Scripture teaches is that the Lord draws near, draws near to those that are broken and have a contrite heart before Him. And we're seeing Hannah, again, not pointing the finger at the Lord, not p- pointing the finger at Penina, not pointing the finger at her husband, but instead is just pouring herself before the Lord, um, just completely brokenhearted. And I think that there's something to that. Again, as, and, and I want to point it back to, if we're going to be praying for our, the lost, we need to be taking that emotion, that passion to the Lord, and we have to see it for what it is. She's a woman of prayer mighty woman of prayer. And, you know, the, the vow, okay? There's warnings in Scripture about, like, making vows to the Lord. And there's a lot of times when people make vows in Scripture that, like, they shouldn't have said. And then sometimes they just needed to pause that vow and, like, break it because it was a terrible vow to begin with. Um, but there's warnings in Scripture about making vows. But what I see here is that Hannah was consecrated to the Lord, and she had a desire to give the gift of God back to him to serve in the priesthood. And, uh, and remember, Elkanah was a Levite, so this would have been a very proper uh, direction for Samuel, who we'll um, eventually meet here. Um, but here's, here's the key point, okay? of, of this, this section is that when we seek the Lord, he will give the increase. Okay. When we seek the Lord, he will give the increase. Psalm 127. Okay. We were just kind of singing this this morning, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early. So to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he give, give it, giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of his womb is his reward. John 15, Jesus says for, for his disciples to abide in the vine. Okay, and he says that, <clears throat> um, he says here that uh, he that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Okay, so we've got to abide in the Lord to see that spiritual fruit. And then Luke 11 um, talks about uh, seeking and knocking. And uh, Jesus says, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. 
And we've got to learn to be relentless in our prayers. And I just want to confess to you, that's not me. And like, <clears throat> you know, we don't necessarily have to be locked, lock ourselves in a closet for like three hours to like get the ear of the Lord. Um, but there is something to our worship and being on our face and being prostrate before the Lord. And that's very different than like getting a text message and be like, oh, somebody has a prayer request. Okay, like I'm driving. I'm like, Lord, please help them. And it's like, okay, on to the next thing. Like there's, there's a huge difference there. So we've got to seek the Lord. We've got to abide in the Lord. And, and again, as we enter into this time of prayer and fasting as a church, as a fellowship, let's, let's grab each other's arms and let's, let's, let's commit to, to have passionate, broken-hearted prayer to ask God that His will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so... <clears throat> Um, you know, Eli did not respond well to seeing um, Hannah praying. And um, I think the call out is just that sometimes people will misunderstand you. Um, you'll be broken before the Lord and, and even people in the church, you might get criticism. Oh, they're too emotional. Oh, they're too passionate. Um, I, I found this quote and I just thought this was great. John Bunyan, um, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, says this, In prayer... It is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Okay? In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. I think about Mary seeing Jesus like dialoguing with these people in the temple and them like marveling. And it just talks about her like just like kind of soaking it in and absor absorb like observing it. And it's like she kind of like hid that in her heart. And we have Hannah here, like, so broken that she doesn't even have words. And yet, God is hearing everything that she's praying, even though she's not saying anything audibly. So, God has a response to this. And 1 Samuel 1, 19-20 says this, And they rose up early in, up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Okay, so um, knew, uh, Elkanah knew his wife. That's in, you know, KJV, biblical language for they were intimate with each other. And the Lord remembered her. Verse 20, Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Okay, so the key call out here is just that the Lord remembered Hannah. And I did a little word study on this. And the first mention of this like phrase remembered is actually um, Genesis 8.1. The Lord remembered Noah and the living animals. Okay, Hannah's name means grace. The literal translation of it is grace. Okay, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This remembrance of the Lord is not like, oh, he forgot, and then it was like, oh, who's this person over here praying? Oh, I remember you. I'm going to bless you. God's not like us. But I think this remembrance is, is really um, that there's like a caring attention 
unto the object of God's affection. And Hannah has a righteous heart before the Lord. She's coming to him in humility, and the Lord's drawing near. He's remembering her. Okay, and so um, the miracle here is that uh, Hannah conceives, and uh, she has Samuel. Okay, and we're going to read verses 21 through 23, and we're really close to wrapping up here. And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer unto the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she said unto her husband, I will not go up unto the child until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him, that he may appear before the Lord and abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Do what seemeth thee good, tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her son suck until she weaned him. Okay, so here's the key point from this section. Spiritual children are not a novelty. Okay, raising faithful disciples requires resolved nurturing. Okay, I want to read that one more time. Spiritual children are not a novelty. Raising faithful disciples requires resolved nurturing. What we're seeing here is that Hannah is actually kind of putting the pause on what appears to be her spiritual life. Okay? Like, her household's going to the temple every year. This is like in obedience to the Lord. And Hannah's like, I'm going to take, like, I need to take care of him. And once he's weaned, then we'll go and dedicate him. Okay, <clears throat> I think um, sometimes uh, we pray for you know God to give us fruit. We pray for salvations, and just like there's a cost of discipleship in our own lives, I think sometimes we casually pray about evangelism, but we don't necessarily recognize that if the Lord were to answer that prayer, that is going to take commitment on our part to actually feed that baby spiritual milk. Okay? Um, Puppies are always like a a great idea, right? You get excited? Michelle, aren't you? (laughs) You know, but it's like, there's, there's a difference between that like, kind of that like imagining of like having a puppy and then it's like you get the puppy and it's like this thing just pooped on my carpet again, right? And there's that, you know, you've got to have that resolve and that nurturing and stuff like that. And what we see in Hannah here is this tender care for her child that, um, that children need, okay? So in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 3.2, um, Hebrews 5.12 talks a lot about Paul. He wants to give Christians like strong meat in the Word but they're not ready for it because they're still babes in Christ. Nobody raised them up and discipled them to be mature believers. They're stuck in that, that childhood. And so Paul's got to like throttle what he's going to actually teach them because of that. Okay. Um, you know, I'm thinking about the Titus two woman. I think about, um, the man that, uh, first Corinthians four, 14 through 15 says that, There's many instructors, but there's very few fathers. 
And so, again, as we pray for God to give us fruit as barren Christians, I think we also have to recognize that if God answers that prayer, that's going to require a death to self, like a, like a mom, like a dad, a laying down of your life for that fruit. And so we have to pray that prayer very soberly. We have to pray that prayer and be willing and have faith that God will answer it. And what will that mean for our life? Are the right mechanics in place in our life to be able to disciple somebody? Are there, is, our, is our home set up to have somebody over? Like, I mean, just all these things, right? Okay. 1 Samuel 4, 28. I'm sorry. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24 through 28. Okay, last part of the chapter. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. You can almost like hear her excitement. For this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given me my petition when I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord as long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. Okay, so last key point. Our spiritual children are entrusted to us for a season, but they are ultimately the Lord's. Our spiritual children are entrusted to us for a season, but they are ultimately the Lord's. Um, you know, when you think about like building a ministry... Okay, like, I want to be praying for whole heart. I am praying for whole heart. That the Lord uses me, that the Lord uses each of us to share the gospel, invite people to church, invite people to our homes, invite people to our Bible studies, and that we would bear fruit. Okay? And I think, like, the, you know, the idea is that somebody comes beside you, raises you up, and then eventually they become mature and... They've got to be sent off, okay? Um, most of my disciples have broken my heart, okay? Uh, Jeff Grasher was part of the praise ministry. And uh, he, I mean, him and Kylie writing amazing songs. They were leading. And then Brandon came along and stole them for another ministry. Um, and they became youth ministers. Um, no, pra- I mean, I praise God for that, right? But... Um, you know, many of, the, many of the people that I've had the, the opportunity and privilege to, to disciple um, were with me for a season, but then God had a plan for them that was not my ideal plan for them. I mean, almost every single one. It's like God had a path for them. And at the time, it was like, kind of like, ugh, like a little like, is, again, is there something wrong with me? <laughs> like, is, why, why is everybody leaving me? Um, but Years later, I'm seeing how God is using lawn and evangelism ministry, and Taylor Lyon is getting ready uh, to go across seas as a missionary. He's been preparing for a while for that. Um, there's a guy at H&R Block named Trevor that is now doing a Bible study one-on-one with somebody else. He never became a member of this church. Like These were things that I anguished over. Because, um, you know, as a father or as a mother, you want your children to be near you. But our spiritual children are entrusted to us for a season, but they are ultimately the Lord's. 
And again, uh, that's something like as we think about praying for fruit, let's also be thinking about like, let's have that long-term vision. What does discipleship look like for them? Let's be preparing for that, trusting that the Lord will heal our barrenness. And then what's that? What's after that? Where are they going to go? How are they going to be sent out? You know, so these are all things. Um, And I'll just end, I'll I'll end with this. Um, At work, when we're doing business slides, um, leadership likes uh, what we call from to slides. They want to kind of know what are we doing wrong right now? And what's it going to be like in the future that's going to be better? So you're, you're going from this to this, all right? So this is my from two slide, just in terms of um, spiritual transformation, okay? Um, if you guys could turn to, to 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Samuel chapter 3. What you're going to see here is that it says, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. God was not giving any new revelation because they did not obey what God had already given them. So when, when, when Samuel was first starting off, there was no open vision. Do you imagine like God just being done talking? <clears throat> and yet... Um, and there was a corrupt priesthood. Eli was still a priest, okay? And then if you go to the end of that chapter, verse 19, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. It's like every word of God that Samuel got, he just he kept it so close. He didn't let any of it fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord, And check this out. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Okay? So they went from spiritual corruption in the priesthood and in the land to the Lord's presence and his word being established. God started talking to his people again. There was a faithful minister. And all this happened because... Hannah prayed unto the Lord and, and brought her sorrow and her grief to him. Okay, So what I want to ask of you is just that um, as we close, that uh, I'm going to pray. And if, um, if, if anything struck a chord, um, if there's, you know, maybe some, somebody in this classroom is still um, struggling with some pain from... from uh, some of the things that I mentioned that couples struggle with, with barrenness, losing children, and whatnot. Um, I, I encourage you to grab somebody in, in, this, in this room and, and pray with them. Ask them to pray for you. Um, but also, um, let's resolve in our hearts to not only be seeking the Lord that we would not be spiritually barren, but that He would give us fruit as a ministry, but that we would also be prepared for that, for discipleship, and missions, and getting them prepared, all right? So let me pray. Father, 